You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 123. When we're coaching, we're really looking to, for the client, which is the team, to hold responsibility both for, as in one-to-one coaching, the agenda, the areas of development, the content, and over time, the process. So as a team coach, I'm not holding the pen. I'm not writing on the flip chart. I'm not designing an agenda. I'm not setting up a workshop. Because the more of that I do, the more I'm actually unconsciously fulfilling a role that is absent in the team. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, Take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rinchler, and thanks for being with us. We have a great show for you today. We're joined by... Another master certified coach, Georgina Woodstra, we're going to be talking about the differentiators between team and group coaching, group facilitation, training, all the different things that sometimes get muddled together. Georgina's going to bring some real clarity for us. And I'm going to tell you more about Georgina and the interview in just a moment. I do want to Thank those of you who have completed our listener survey to give me feedback about what it is that's important to you. I have listened and would love additional feedback. If you have just a moment to complete our very brief survey, go to starcoachshow.com. On the homepage, right in the middle, you will see that it says, take this quick survey. And I would so appreciate your feedback. It helps me continue to bring a show that is helpful to you, as well as building out the membership community in a way that will be helpful to you with masterminds and Q&A and additional resources that strengthen your businesses and your skills. So thank you in advance for that. StarCoachShow.com, listener survey on the homepage would be so helpful. Now, let's talk about today's show. As I mentioned, we are joined by Georgina Woodstra. She first trained as a coach in 1992 and works with senior leadership teams and CEOs. When I asked Georgina, what is it that you're passionate about that you would like to share with a coaching audience? She said, without hesitation, the emerging field of team coaching, how we do that globally, and do we need distinct competencies for group and team coachings to help us be that much clearer as coaches about what we're doing in that framework, looking from that place of group and team coaching. So we decided that we would talk about the differentiators between facilitation 
and group coaching and team coaching and training and all the things that sometimes get put under the same umbrella when they're in fact very, very different. Now, Georgina talks to us today about many of the distinctions and we do a really deep dive into the subject. One of the things that she points out is that she had read a book several years ago, Senior Leadership Teams by Ruth Wagaman and other researchers, and it really resonated with her. Well, I'm bringing this up now because Georgina is going to be in a webinar with Ruth Wagaman the day after this show goes live. And it's a free webinar. If those of you who are interested in what Georgina is talking about and want to learn more, you might very well want to connect with that free webinar. So there is a link for it on our resource page at starcoachshow.com. And I did send out an email to those of you who have subscribed to my list so that you knew about it even before this show came out. If any of you listening want to be sure that you get those heads up that I send out and the updates and any new information that I have that I'm able to share with my list, be sure to connect with me on the contact page at starcoachshow.com and let me know that you'd like those weekly updates and those special updates that I send that I can only get out to my list because if you're listening and you're not on my list, then I can't let you know of any other special things that come out. So be sure to connect with me on the contact page at starcoachshow.com so that I can be sure that you're getting those additional alerts for new information that I get. So let's talk to Georgina Woodstra, MCC, about the distinctions of team coaching and group coaching and the roles that we play as a coach right now. Let's go to our interview. Georgina, good afternoon and welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is wonderful to have you join us from across the pond, as my uncle used to say. Oh, it's great to be with you, Meg, here this afternoon. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As I am. So we are going to focus on the differentiators between team coaching, group coaching, group facilitation, the many different things that sort of get put under the umbrella of group coaching sort of erroneously. But before we even get into all of that, I would love for you to just share with the audience a little bit about your coaching journey and what your current focus is. Yeah, thanks, Meg. So my journey into coaching was by chance, really. I had an entrepreneurial career. I had uh, sold a business. This was um, 27 years ago. So I had sold a business and I didn't quite know what to do with myself. So I thought, well, I'll do some studies. And I did a master's in change management. And as part of my research, one of my interviewees for my research talked about coaching and it captured my interest. And I was just fascinated because I've been studying consulting. And I was really struck by the difference and by the, the, the textbooks I've been reading on consulting and the ideas were somewhat frustrating that you put all this effort into consulting and then produce a manual that would be left on the shelf and 
and not really have any impact. And then, and then I heard about coaching. I thought, well, coaching seemed to bring together business, learning, personal growth and development, spirituality, all of those things in a really dynamic way. And it, it excited me. So I trained as a coach and started my practice in 1993, which seems like a long time ago now. Particularly because if you think about the fact that the ICF was sort of established in 95, you were above the curve. Yeah, the professional bodies didn't exist. And the first training I did, they actually used the word coaching in the training, but it wasn't clearly defined as coaching is now. It was more a sense of it's one-to-one development-focused conversations rather than conversations that were more psychotherapy or counseling orientated. So they were calling it coaching, but of course, I'm sure coaching was in people's minds before the professional bodies actually founded and uh, and created coaching, but very early days, yeah. So at that time, you were making a shift sort of from a consulting focus into a coaching focus. And what kinds of clients did you work with? Initially, other entrepreneurs, small businesses, some individuals looking around career change, there were so many different kinds of coaching that I did. I had a little project going with a wonderful organization called Every Woman, whose ambition was to support women who had taken career breaks out for children and that sort of situation, getting the confidence to getting back into work. So I volunteered along with a colleague to do uh, 100 free coaching sessions for every, <laughs> for every woman participants. You know, there were all sorts of things that I did. Wow. However, my, uh, my interest really was business and my experience had been in, in, in building businesses and owning businesses. So that's where I found my niche. And today I have a it's, it's chief executive and executive team or top team focused practice because that's the land that I relate to. That's the, the roles that I relate to. And that seems to be where I do my best work. So yeah, this, that's where my practice is these days. I love the story of your journey though, Georgina, because so often when I'm teaching coaches who are just coming into the profession, they kind of put pressure on themselves to know their niche immediately or to, and sometimes it yeah. takes coaching a vast variety of of kinds of situations and people in, in different places in their life to determine, wow, this is my sweet spot. Maybe I thought it was going to be small businesses, but really it's the C-suite. Or maybe I thought it was going to be relationship coaching, but really I have an affinity to work with entrepreneurs. And until we sort of get in there and, and coach different people, we might not really know what that sweet spot is. So I love the fact that you just coached in lots of different areas of passions and then determined that this is really what I enjoy and where I feel like I bring the value. Yes, absolutely. And I agree with you. Just get out there and practice. And it's through that experience of practice that we find really where our sweet spot is and where we've got the most to offer. And and certainly that was the way for me. So how did working with the C-suite bring you into this focus that you have of this emerging field of bringing value through team and group coaching? Yeah, yeah. Well, I had been coaching for over a decade. I had a successful practice. Most of my clients were senior executives and chief executives. 
This was early into the millennium. And a lot of the issues that my clients were talking about were issues about how to get their team to work effectively. So at that point, it didn't become a major focus for me, but it was a curiosity. And I started reading about team performance, about what makes a team effective, about the conditions that create team effectiveness. And I learned a lot about teams. And at the time, there was no literature that I could find on team coaching. So I thought about how to practice team coaching using the same core competencies, the ICF core competencies, but translating them. And, uh, and it was a bumpy ride. Uh, I didn't find it easy to begin with. And I, I, I learned a lot through experimentation practice. But I was very motivated to do so because I could see that organisations were hiring fantastic people at the top. But the chief executives and senior leaders were just not getting the value out of that team that they had hoped for or anticipated. So I persisted with that and I learned a lot along the way. And then gradually a few books came into the field which were helpful. Some were helpful, some weren't helpful. And, um, and again, con- continued to develop my thinking on it. And then over more recently, um, I think it was about 2008. Well, recently, 2008 is not that recent anymore, is it? (laughs) When you look at the big scheme of things, it is though, yes. I was on holiday. I was by Lake Tahoe. And I remember reading this fantastic book called Senior Leadership Teams by Ruth Wagaman et al. So a number of researchers, consultants and academics got together and did a big body of research into what makes effective senior leadership teams. And maybe it was just me or maybe you did this, Meg. I was lying on a beach reading this book and so many things just spoke to me. You know, I had oh, the highlight yeah. of Ken Elton. <laughs> oh my God. And then you just get more and more excited the more you just, yeah. oh yes, and that. And yeah. it, yes. I named so many things that were part of that experience. So so I was curious about teams and I was then I was interested, well, how do you, how do you bring in these insights and how do you work for the team in a way that is different to showing up as a consultant? And that's what I've been practicing and experimenting with ever since. And whilst I have a lot of experience these days and I've coached many, many teams, I think as a profession, we're still developing what team coaching is and what it can be. It's still becoming, whereas executive coaching is quite mature have a fairly good idea of what good looks like and artic- can articulate that and organizations know what it is and they know how to buy executive coaching and how to set up good contracts by and large mm-hmm. team coaching is still very much in its genesis at the moment so when we think about team coaching there are I, I believe that under the umbrella of group coaching a lot of things get shoved under there and it's like Oh, we're doing group coaching. But I, I think it would be really beneficial to the audience if we spend some time looking at what are those differentiators? What's team coaching versus group coaching versus facilitation versus training? I mean, all the different things that we might think that we're doing so that we do create clarity, both for organizations, for the profession of coaching, and so that we're really delivering what we promise that we're going to be delivering. So where would you like to start when we think about differentiators? I think let's start with the difference between team and group. Excellent. Because that's kind of the the what or the context that we're working in. Mm -hmm. And then think about what's the role of a coach. Then the role of the coach is really contextualized by 
by the work. Yes. Is that okay? That's perfect. So group coaching to me is coaching individuals in a group and we benefit so much from learning together collectively. There's many schools of thought that say that we really only know ourselves in relationship with others. If there were no relationships and no others in the world, we wouldn't have a sense of self. So I think group coaching is incredibly powerful. And perhaps you could think of it a little bit like action learning sets, which have been around for years as part of way of learning as a group. And I know that there's some team coaches. There's a, a team coach, I think is in Thailand, who's been uh, looking at team coaching in an action learning type forum in an action learning set kind of way. But the focus is on the individual in the group. In group coaching, it's focused on the individual. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. on the individual in the group. And and collectively, the group may learn together. So you could say if you go on a workshop or a course, there's a learning group. Mm -hmm. And the learning group are learning together. But what they take away is for themselves as individuals. So there's no there's no need for collaboration towards a collective output. And that's the difference for the team. The team is independent. It's sort of interdependent. They have to work together towards team goals, towards a collective output. So there is work that the team need to do together in order to achieve certain outcomes. Excellent. So let's just for a second give an example and let's see if this is on target with what you're talking about. As you were talking about group coaching, one of the things that came to me was when I do a mentor group, everyone is working toward their certification or their recertification, but they're looking at it through their own lens. What do they need to learn What competencies seem to speak most to them? Where do they need to grow? Or I have a friend who does group coaching for women in technology. And these women all come from their own companies. They individually come into the group and they focus on their learning in women in technology. But they're all separate. They're not working together in the same organization. Yet they're learning and growing together in their group experience. Yes, uh, those are group coaching examples. They're not all together on one team. Yeah. They they are coming together, learning with one another, but kind of going to their own places afterwards. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And with a team, therefore, you have a team as a system. So, as a system, it needs to work together in order to deliver certain outputs whether it's in a corporate sector or a public sector or it's a voluntary organisation, that's really what defines a team. So therefore, there are some aspects that make a team a team, such as a team has a purpose, a reason for being as a team. And that's usually expressed as some vision or some goals that they need to manifest together. And the key point is interdependent. So some organisations, when I first meet a leader and their team, they describe their team. Often it's their direct reports and they're really working together much more as a group than as a team. So the leader has not yet created added value by them doing teamwork together. So there's another little bit of, of context there that's really useful is to encourage leaders to think about what is the work that, and the added value 
that this team can deliver by working together. And there's, there's, many more, there's many more dimensions that make a team effective that are useful for team coaches to know about. But I think that brings us, Meg, into the, into the role of team coach. Okay. So before we move into that, in your experience and in the, in the team coaching that you do, is the leader involved in the team coaching? For me, yes, because the unit that's called team has a leader. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are some teams that are self-governing teams. In my experience, they're quite rare. Usually, yes. if you set up a group of people, convert that into a team so they've got some collective task to do, even if there's no appointed leader by title, someone will show up as a leader. Yes. Because uh, it's quite difficult to collaborate without leadership. So usually there is a leader. So coaching a team without the leader means you're only coaching part of the system. There's also some interesting uh, research that I find fascinating that, that, that says that, te- that the, the quality of leadership of the team contributes at least 50% to the team's effectiveness. So wow. if a leader says, come coach my team and don't think about themselves in there, then you may not be able to get as much value from that team coaching intervention as you would coaching with the leaders. It's a big area of the work. That certainly makes sense. If you have a team come in and work on things without the leader that's influencing that, then you're really sort of cutting their feet off. You can create all sorts of dynamic within the group, but then when they have to go and implement, if they don't have their leader on board with them, I can see that that would be a real hindrance. Yes, and it's often the leader who benefits from making more changes to how they work that gets the value out of the team and the team's collaboration. And so I quite often find myself spending a lot of focus on how the team is being led. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. So then if we look at the role of the coach, how how do you build that in? So I've been doing a lot of workshops, one-day workshops, and we have a three-day certificate in team coaching and a a full-blown diploma. But in the one-day workshops, I quite often have a large group of people and in in small groups that get them to think about the role. So I might have one table defining what's the role of a facilitator, another table defining what are the attributes of the role of a consultant, another one what's the attributes of the role of a trainer, what about a teacher? What about a leader? What about coach? And you could think of other roles, all roles that are about some form of contribution towards a group or team. And they write down the attributes. And then often when we have time, I then invite them to create a little cameo or a human sculpture of that group to show the embodiment of that role. So role, it's really fascinating what happens because when people are in the role of trainer, they're usually standing up. They're usually presenting content. They usually have got some teaching points. When I see them in the role of facilitator, it's often a very similar thing. Yeah. So it's, it's embodied like a teacher. It's often standing up. It may be holding a pen or PowerPoint or flip charts. It's guiding activity, guiding exercises. Well, sometimes sort of in the role of leader, in a way, in, 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 in orchestrating what's happening within the group. Yeah, beautifully put, orchestrating. And, you know, the, the etymology of the word facilitator is about making it easy, making it easier, facilitating the process, making the process easier. 
So when somebody's facilitating an away day, and I'm sure people will have a variety of intentions when they use that word, but most commonly it's used so that the facilitator pays attention to the process so that the team can focus on the content or the task. So let's have a facilitated away day about our vision as a team or facilitated away day about our strategy. And then the team can, can have some effective exercises for producing that content and it can be really useful. However, one of the differences with team coaching mm-hmm. is that oftentimes if I'm invited to coach a team, it's because the team is having some challenges in working together effectively. It's only occasionally I've got one team at the moment that uh, is pretty much the only team in maybe 15 years that I can recall where I've been asked to coach and they're a team that's already high, high, high um, achieving, performing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's their idea is how to best get better. Okay. We can continue to learn. Usually you get a phone call because there's some kind of distress call. The team is struggling. So it's the team's process that doesn't work. The team, their way of working together is struggling. So when a facilitator comes in and takes responsibility for the process, of course, the away day works. Because all that onus is on the facilitator and yeah, it's not it's on, teaching yeah. the team or, or encouraging the team to own that themselves. The, co- the team are not learning about the process because the coach who's actually facilitating, not coaching, is owning the process. So the work of the team becomes focusing on content. So when we're coaching, we're really looking to for the client, which is the team, to hold responsibility both for, as in one-to-one coaching, the agenda, mm-hmm. the areas of development, the content, and over time, the process. So as a team coach, I'm not holding the pen. I'm not writing on the flip chart. I'm not designing an agenda. I'm not setting up a workshop. Because the more of that I do, the more I'm actually unconsciously fulfilling a role that is absent in the team. Instead of in encouraging the team to pick up that role and fulfill it themselves. And, and helping the team to learn how to have more effective processes between them. Uh, it's not so really that I, a subtle but really important difference. Very profound. And I supervise many team coaches. People say they're doing team coaching. And then they bring their work into supervision. And they say, and I've got this team next week. And this is what we're going to do. And they talk me through the agenda. It's packed full of exercises. It's all predetermined and, and pre-planned, scheduled with a timed agenda. And I, and I say, out of curiosity, when you have one-to-one coaching sessions, do you go into them, let's say it's an hour and a half session, going, okay, from in the first 10 minutes, this is what we're going to do. And then from the 10th minute to half an hour, we're going to do that. And then we're going to do that. And this is the exercises we're going to do. And these are the outputs we're going to get or the areas of focus. No, most coaches don't do that because coaching is about following the client's agenda and contracting with the client, right. following the client's lead and working with them emergently. So when I'm, when I'm talking about this with groups, I see lots of light bulbs go on and people realizing that when they're in the room with a team, they've forgotten about coaching. They've shifted unconsciously into a different role. 
and there's a there's a lot we could talk about in this. I know I know we don't have time to uh, to really. Oh, it'd be wonderful it. if we did, but but yeah. But us being aware, I I love that uh, parallel between do you structure your individual sessions under your control of what's going to happen and. No, you don't. So if you're really coaching a group, why would you structure like that? And if you do, being conscious of the impact of that, the potential impact of that in the team's process, which is often where they need to do work. So it's not being being black and white about it, Mm -hmm. but it's really about being intentional about the role that we play in a team and thinking about how do we keep the responsibility as much as possible with the team and not unwittingly take up roles. And that might mean meeting the team where they're at. A lot of clients have only had team facilitation or they've had team coaches work with them. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that sort of in inverted commas, for really facilitators or team builders, but they've used the word coaching because coaching is popular. So that's what they expect from the coach. However, what I find is, they have a great away day and they have good contact time together. They can really get a lot of value out of it, but it's hard to get it to stick because the team's processes haven't shifted. So one of the reasons, you know, I've asked a lot of coaches why this happens and really sought to understand it because I think it happens more often than not. And uh, one of the things that has come out is because most of us feel some anxiety in social situations. So if you go, you may notice yourself, Meg, if you're meeting a new group of people or in a new group, there's a little bit of anxiety or for some people a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then for a coach who's had the briefing of this is a team that's struggling, the, the, the communication's not good or the trust isn't good, we then carry more anxiety for the team. We have performance anxiety. They want to have a go from a high-performing team and they want to spend half a day getting there. But right, right. You know, so ridiculous expectations. So more anxiety. And the more anxiety the coach has, the more we look for certainty. And we create certainty through structuring. So we prepare, we schedule, we plan, we come up with lots of content and theory. And that eases our anxiety as coaches. And in my recommendation, I say to coaches, well, it's not about not doing that. It's really learning to find your own presence so that you can be much more present to your own discomfort and your own anxiety without trying to fix it for yourself by overstructuring and shifting towards co-creating with the team. So how would you, if you were supervising me and, and I'm getting ready to maybe begin with a team that I, so I'm wanting the sponsor to be happy with me because, yeah. you, you know, that that's the, who I've contracted with. At the same time, the team is my client and I want to meet their needs. What might be some of the things that we would discuss in my supervision with you about proceeding? Well, there could be many things. One of the things that went through my mind when you were just sharing there is, is what's the context? You know, where is this team at? Is the team at in its maturity through your lens? Where is the leader at in the leader's maturity? Or where is leadership at if it's a, a self-governing team in its maturity? How self-aware are they? 
And I do find teams vary enormously. I'd then be looking to see what, what shifts they want through the team coaching and how they've understood your role or how you've described your role. And, and then, you know, in asking those questions, I, I love this idea that I keep in mind of meeting the team where they're at. And uh, it's different to executive coaching where many, many people have had executive coaching. So they, you can already get in and do the work of executive coaching. That's where their frame of reference is. Um, but for many teams, their frame of reference isn't team coaching. So I meet them where they're at and I might offer them the opportunity to do some form of assessment or some awareness raising tool, which is an interesting point in itself that I'll, I'll come back to in a moment, but might do some, some form of diagnostic or discovery process. Uh, not always. I don't have a fixed process for every team because every context is different. I may have a lot of coaching conversations with the leader first to find out what's really going on for them with their leadership and how the team are responding to their leadership. I might look at where you think your strengths are and where your vulnerabilities are as a coach and seek to understand what your real internal dialogue is when you're in with that team. Very importantly, we may explore your contracting and how you can potentially contract more effectively with the team engagement to foster the the ground for team coaching to happen. Yeah, so many things. So just from what you said, the way I think that it's going to help the audience think about the lens that they look through as they walk into this, you know, what kind of information do I have about the team readiness? What kind of information do I have about the leader? And do I need to begin by gathering more information. We don't want to go in blind. And so your concept of meeting the team where they're at is so incredibly important. And the whole concept of how do you contract around that, that just, I know that you're perked up all over the place for that. Any particular sort of tidbits or, I know that that could be an episode all in and of itself. Contract. Yes. Any words of wisdom around contracting? I think it's very important and very helpful when we contract around our role and give real life examples. And and I think people have, many leaders have worked with a facilitator before or a trainer, and they may have worked in a team development sense before. So I'll, so part of that contracting would be to seek to understand their expectations and the role that someone has performed in a team sense before and then to find out what was useful about that and, and to, to explore the limitations of that and especially as that leader may have been able to have a sense of how effective and useful that work was over time and then I can bring into that well I see my role as a team coach somewhat differently and then talk about what that might look like and give them real as I say real life examples um, I would talk about working with their frame of reference. And um, again, this is another point about, uh, so you were talking about you wouldn't go into a team blind. I agree with that. However, sometimes I find team coaches are using assessments a lot for themselves to diagnose a team. <clears throat> and, you know, with the idea of coaching is really how do we use tools to raise awareness 
for the team right. to create meaning around. And this is where sometimes I find coaches slipping into the consultancy role. And teams will certainly invite us. They'll go, well, tell us, yes. how, you know, how effective are we being and what do we need to do to become more effective? As we get with clients going, well, I don't know, maybe you tell me what I should do to be better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so being clear about our role, resisting that, um, being clear that our role is to help them discover their own sweet spot and how they can be more effective as a team. Um, being uh, one of the things I contract around is with a leader and say, if, for me to coach this team, I need you to understand that I will also be coaching you. And, and what that might look like is we may have offline conversations without the team to support you thinking through your leadership and how your leadership the team could be more effective. But also when we're together with the team, I may offer you some challenge just as much as I may offer the team about what's happening in the team's process in this moment in time. I give them an example of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. So I prepare them and build up that psychological safety, a contract around what their needs are around that with me, any concerns they'd have. And then the other part I want to say, because I know we're, we're running short of time, uh, again, I was at a workshop a couple of weeks ago in London and uh, with about 35 coaches exploring team coaching. And I said to them, so how many of you in your uh, one-to-one coaching practice do chemistry sessions of some form before you go into a, a coaching program with a client? Do, do you do that, Meg? I do. I you do. do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I said, how many of you in the room work with group or groups or teams? And about 90% of the hands went up. So 90% of the people in the room work with groups and teams. I said, how many of you do chemistry meetings with a team? And not one went up. And I said, what's going on there? Right. What's going on there? We have lost sight of our role. And why do we do chemistry, chemistry meetings? We do it to, in my view, to help explore and help the client to understand the philosophy of coaching. Right. What we stand for, what the role of the coach is, what the client can expect from us, what we expect from them how we're co-creating the program together. And, and yet I hear that uh, coaches are having one phone call with the leader, writing a proposal, prescribing what they're going to do, and, uh, and very rarely having a chemistry session where the team gets to assess whether the coach is likely to be a good fit for them and whether the, the, the coach is likely to, be, to feel they can have agency and make a difference to this team. That is so key. And you've done such a nice job drawing the parallel, not that individual coaching is the same as team coaching, but that there are some key things that we do and reasons why we do them individually that very much parallel over to team coaching, but it's like we disconnect from that and then fall into a place of maybe not coaching, but doing one of those other roles that you you talked about earlier especially consulting and facilitation and some team training and it's it's not that it's wrong it's more that when we expand our role to that Mm -hmm. that we've now taught the team that that's a role that we can play and and it's so easy to unconsciously for yourself and a team to become a team member of some sort to continue for the team to function they need you to play that role, and especially consultancy. And I think, um, you know, I've got a bookshelf behind me, and most of these are books that are related to team coaching. 
And I'm quite shocked with some of the books I read that are really, they're called team coaching, but there's so much emphasis on consultancy, on diagnosing, on understanding team effectiveness, on what the team should be focused on and what the team should do. And the language so is- we're coming in as the expert rather than yeah. really enabling the yeah. team to become an entity of creative, resourceful, you know, dynamic, a dynamic being on itself. Yeah. We've brought that lens of the client. We believe that clients are creative, resourceful, and whole. Mm-hmm. We believe they have their answers. We create a relationship of mutuality, of you know, standing at the same level in partnership, not of coming in as the expert from above, with, even though you talk about co-creation, but I'm still the one who, has the, who knows better uh, what good should look like for you. So my hope is over the next 10 years or so that we really develop a clear sense of what team coaching is. I'm a leading, co-leading a, a global working party started by the ICF, but the Association for Coaching and the European Coaching and Mentoring Council are involved. So it's a cross-party working party. We're looking at do we need team coaching competencies? Uh, so my, my coach training school, the Executive Coach Studio, we have 15 ECS team coaching competencies that are aligned to the ICF competencies and more, because you do need more as a team coach. But we're looking at as a, as a professional, as a profession, do we need separate team coaching competencies and do we need uh, some form of team coaching credential that will guide the coach training schools and the practice all in service of professionalising team coaching so we can help clients understand more about what it is and we can help coaches understand more about what it is. So more about that will come out later on this year and into 2014. Oh, but such dynamic, important work. Just as as I think coaching has evolved and gotten clearer and clearer about what it is, now the pieces of that and, and the, the different components uh, such as team coaching are, are still sort of defining themselves and, and yeah. professionals like you are making that happen. So thank you for coming and sharing that expertise with all of us. So important and so key to our learning. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Was you, you can probably tell I'm really passionate about this and I really want to keep uh, coaching with a capital C, you know, in team coaching because we, we started profession of coaching. It came alive for a reason. And that reason at a philosophical level is fundamental belief in humankind. And, and, and therefore, I think we've got to be careful about it slipping into other roles. I didn't train to become a facilitator or consultant. You know, I trained to become a coach because I believe in coaching. So let's together find out how we can use coaching to make even more of a difference to teams. Absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing all of that incredible perspective to us. You're welcome, Meg. It's been lovely talking with you today. And uh, thank you for listening. This interview was filled with so much information. Your head might be swirling. You might need to listen to the episode again, but I do want to thank Georgina Woodstra for all the content that she shared with us and her perspective to help us 
determine what roles do we want to play and how do we bring our best forward to meet our clients and believe that our clients, whether they are a group, a team, or an individual, are creative, resourceful, and whole. If you'd like to know more about the webinar that Georgina is doing with Ruth Wagaman about Georgina's work, about the Executive Coach Studio, go to the resource page at starcoachshow.com and you'll find all the information there. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. The more rates and reviews we get, the more people find our show. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fabulous week.